I am coming to you from about one kilometer inside the Ukrainian border. As many of you know by now, my son, Corey, uh, who is now 21, we adopted him from Mariupol uh, when he was six years old. And um, those were happier days for that city. But I just wanted to um, give you guys just a brief overview about what my passion and reason for writing this book, We Are Ukraine. First of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You know, when the war broke out, I just felt God put on my heart a passion for uh, the Ukrainian people. Um, we've obviously had a connection and, and kept on top of the news. Many Americans don't really realize that this war started eight years ago when uh, the Russians annexed Crimea and then began uh, the civil war in the east and the Donbass region of the country down near Mariupol. Um, my passion, though, for writing is to tell the stories on the ground, to tell the stories of the Ukrainian people, uh, people who are suffering greatly, as we all know. doesn't matter where you get your news, you see it. And, and as Christians, our hearts go out for these people. I'm here, I've been here for two weeks in Poland, now in Ukraine. I am capturing stories that have changed my life. Um, and I really look forward to sharing with you and with the rest of the world. Um, my hope and prayer is, 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 is that this book will sell a million copies, proceeds virtually all to go to the refugee crisis and back to the people in the Church of Ukraine. I'm going to head back to the border now. There's about a five-hour wait for me, uh, awaiting me there, but hopefully get into some more good conversations and gathering more good material for the book. So I've just left the um, Ukrainian border crossing, and I'm heading into Poland, and this is the exact pathway that um, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees have walked since the beginning of the war and um, I spent about almost eight hours in line just kind of getting a feel for what their exact experience is like and it was yeah it was, a, it was a long day but I'm not complaining a lot of these people were coming in from Kharkiv which is being heavily bombed and um, yet yeah, their spirits were high and they were singing the Ukrainian national anthem. And it was just um, just a very emotional and amazing day. Please keep giving of your time, your treasure and your talents to Ukraine and to the refugee crisis. There are still more than, uh, I think the number now is approximately 8 million displaced Ukrainians. And the Ukrainian government is saying, look, um, we don't have enough power for you to come back right now. Please hold on wherever you are. If you can stay and if your host country can still keep you there, stay through the winter. And then when it starts to warm up and the power grid is less stressed, come back. So there's a lot of people separated from their families. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders joining us today is Kyle Duncan, a 35-year publishing veteran and New York Times bestselling ghostwriter. He's worked with scores of bestselling authors. He and his wife, Suzanne, have three biological daughters and adopted a son, Corey, who is from Maripol, Ukraine. He is the author of Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. He says it's part narrative 
Kiev, part wartime dispatch. Hope for Ukraine transports you into the gritty reality of war-torn Ukraine. Kyle Duncan, author of Hope for Ukraine, stories of grit and grace from the front lines of war. And it's been a minute since we talked, Kyle. And so why don't you get us up to date, you know, what's going on in the Ukraine? And then maybe you'll have some stories you can share with us, too. First of all, Lori, thank you so much for having me back. It's that's a real, real pleasure for me. I, uh, you were one of the first interviews I ever did, and I was very nervous because I am a shy, stuck away in my cave writer editor guy, and you were so encouraging. And uh, I think I've done about forty interviews since I launched my first one with you. So thank you. So just to bring folks up to speed, and obviously most people are aware of of the general highlights or lowlights, if you will, out of Ukraine. Around Thanksgiving, we passed nine months of this war. So that has come and gone. One of the things that's happening is fairly atrocious and fairly sickening, in my opinion, and that is the Russian military has been purposefully uh, trying to destroy the Ukrainian power grid to make Ukrainian civilians and military as miserable as possible through their winter. And their winters are comparable to, say, Chicago. So just imagine living, it's not quite as bad for you in Seattle, but it would be really hard, you know, not to have heat when it's 45 and raining out, even here in San Diego, which people say, cry me a river with your weather there, Kyle. But, you know, it gets down into the 30s. That's happening now. It's outrageous. Like something close to 50% of their power grid has been knocked off. So NATO and other countries like the U.S. are are trying to step up and and sending technicians and equipment and trying to get the power grid up as, as fast as possible. So that's one thing. On a, on a more positive note, there was one major regional city, in other words, one capital of a state, if you will, the Russians had taken, and that was the city of Kherson, which is a very strategic city in the south of the country. It's right near the mouth of the Dnipro River, which is like their Mississippi River. So it's kind of like New Orleans, you know, a big trade center with a lot of shipping and all the access to the Black Sea for them. And they've been able to recapture that city just in the last few weeks. And that was the only major regional town that the Russians had held. So the Russians are still surprising us with their military grit, really. Arguably, you could say the the war is is slightly being won by Ukraine right now. So, But we're looking at a tough winter and a very cold and, yeah, brutal winter for, for the people of Ukraine. Well, thank you for that update. Like you say, we're just not hearing too much, and the little we do hear feels very confusing. Are you in touch with people there? And do you have stories? Do you have things? Are you going to add to the book? I'm still thinking and, and working through and kind of noodling on what my next project is going to be. I have thought very seriously about potentially going back uh, to Ukraine. And this time, rather than going just mostly Poland and the focus being on refugees and people coming out. I mean, there were stories, as you know, in the book of, of people in country both soldiers and like war chaplains and people working with orphans and in the trenches on the front lines. But I would love to go in and my wife doesn't know I'm saying this, so I, I have to run that by. <laughs> I'm calling her right now. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really do have a an unction or a I'll stop short of saying it's a calling, but a, perhaps an assignment to go back in and get even more uh, embedded there using that word very deliberately. So we'll see what happens there. 
and uh, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, the people that I'm hearing from, the Ukrainian people are still very optimistic and determined. And despite, you know, what we mostly hear in the news are just the bad things of people dying or civilians or children. And we still hear all that, you know, bombing is indiscriminate still. I mean, when you try to knock out a power grid in a town, if you drive down the street and you look at where the power company is located in town, you know, there's houses across the street, typically things like that. So it's a harrowing time for Ukraine. The war itself uh, has no noticeable or obvious signs of slowing or ending soon, but the fighting will continue over the winter and, and by springtime, God willing, you know, Ukraine will be in a position of strength to be able to negotiate strongly for hopefully for 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 a strong peace for their, their country. The people I talk to are encouraged, but I, you know, I have friends in Kiev and for a while there, for about four or five months, Lori Kiev was not being bombed. Or it'd be a random sort of missile here and there, but it has been deliberately targeted once again. So they're back to air raid sirens every day. And the friends I have there say. They had left, really. The friends I do have, they're mostly guys who stayed because that legally, you know, they had to stay and they were either fighting or helping with the war effort. Their families were in Poland or other nearby NATO countries. They brought their families back and some of them with babies. And I, one of my good friends there, Yuri Safanov, lives in Kiev and he has a one and a half year old and he had his wife and daughter come back from Poland and and hear the bombs come back. So that is not not over but the Ukrainians are in a strong position and and they'll get through the winter. And with our help, I guess on a, not to jump to the end of what, what can people do, but I, I would really encourage your listeners through nonprofits or your places of worship, whatever, wherever you give of your resources, you know, they need blankets. It's cold. People need blankets. They need heavy coats. They need boots. There's a lot of organizations like World Vision is located, I know, in the in the greater Seattle area. There's huge efforts, pre-Christmas packages and, and crates and, and huge containers going over with clothing and, and a lot of warm thermal blankets, things like that. So yeah, I'd really encourage everyone to just step up and help as you can. If there were a few organizations you know about, for instance, we do have the Ukrainian uh, Association of Washington here. Yeah. Maybe we could find a couple of links. We don't want people to be scammed. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. World Vision is one. A lot of people are familiar with them. They're a child sponsorship program, but they also help on a humanitarian level. I would say also Convoy of Hope is a very solid organization that I'm familiar with. These are all organizations I would vouch for. Samaritan's Purse out of on the on the East Coast is legit. And then, you know, you're more the Red Cross, of course. It just depends on, you know, people like to give to different organizations depending on the flavor of their background and 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 what their their direction. Those are some that off the top of my head. There are others in the back of the book. And sorry if that's a shameless plug for hope for Ukraine. <laughs> no, it's perfect. In, in fact, one of the things I did want to talk to you about was that whole the whole relief effort sometimes people get an idea and they want to do something which i think is amazing and wonderful but also how do we best help so like i'm just going to go there a lot <laughs> of times missionaries you know they paint their their building seven times a year because people want to come and have an experience so right. <laughs> how do yeah. we how do we give the best yeah well frankly cash giving cash to an organization that's already up and running, they're on the ground. And I was able to, like, for example, I mentioned Convoy of Hope. So I visited their warehouse 
in Lublin, which is a border town in Poland, about 20 clicks from the Ukrainian border. They're right there. Okay. That would be like being at SeaTac and, and you want to get stuff downtown. Okay. So it's, they're right there and they are, forgive this phrase, but they're kicking butt. They, they are food, water, clothing. They're there. They've got the transportation hubs. They have the relationships with the Polish customs agents. Their buses roll across. They go to Lviv. All the stuff is then unloaded in Lviv and then smaller arteries. You know, it's like a circulatory system. From those arteries, people vein out and and they have their legitimate vetted official partners that they work with down to the city level, whether it's a mayor's office or the local city council or a local church, bonafide certified people that come pick up that stuff and they get it to the soldiers on the front line and they get the stuff to the elderly, you know, the medicines that they need, statin and and insulin and things that, you know, we normally, they, they're not like the, the big exciting things we hear about in the news, but there's the rub. That's how you help. So I would say literally go to a website, Convoy of Hope or UNICEF or Red Cross, and they make it really easy to give. If you... Like me and my wife, we love to do care packages, like tangible, let's get our hands on it. So we'll fill a box. And then there are organizations like Samaritan's Purse where you can literally send goods. So, you know, if you want to send kids jackets or if you want to send scarves or mittens, things like that, you can do it. That's fine. Some people are like, think smarter, not harder. You don't have to wipe wipe yourself out and go to the, schlep yourself down to the post office. And that's why. So to get into the nitty gritty of it, if you give cash, you give it to the right organization, you know it's going to get to the front line. There are organizations that are, are targeted just to the re- Ukrainian soldiers in the trenches. Because imagine being in a trench when it's snowing and you're living there. It's like World War One, You know, I just, I just watched the newest version of All Quiet on the Western Front the other night. You know, you're seeing these guys sleeping in snowy, muddy, terrible conditions. And that's, that is happening now in Europe, which is bizarre. It's mind-blowing to think about. But tens of thousands of soldiers are doing that right now. And I think what you said about mind-blowing is I almost think we can't imagine it. Right. So we don't want it to be true. What's really good is depending on the kind of person you are and how you like to help, find the way you like to help and then do it through an organization. Do you have any new stories or any old ones you want to share? Yeah. So one of the stories I shared in the book, which I don't think I believe I shared with you, a gentleman that I actually was almost done with the book and a colleague of mine that I used to work with at a nonprofit, we'd kind of been in contact. As you know, when you create a project, you sort of, you canvas your your contacts and you go, hey, do you have any stories? You figure, okay, it's it's odds. I sent out a hundred, and then maybe twenty people will get back to me. And Nancy Jernigan, wonderful couple, and she and her husband help an organization called Olive Branch International. And there's a story in the book about Olive Branch, and they work. They're a great organization. They work around the world on five continents with governments, militaries, specifically for chaplaincies for whether it's um, with imams or rabbis or priests or pastors, wherever you are in the world, you know, soldiers need spiritual and emotional support. And so they're in Ukraine. And at the last minute before my deadline, she said, you have to interview this guy named Colonel Valentin Krenovich. He used to be 
uh, and this story's in the book, he used to be colonel in the Russian, the Red Army, Soviet Union. And when the wall fell, he was stationed in Kazakhstan with his wife. He's a card-carrying communist, literally, raising his family in the communist way, you know, the stoical kind of you never let them see you sweat and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Someone there uh, happened to give him a little tattered uh, New Testament there on, on the frontier of the former Soviet Union. He kind of tucked away in, in a satchel or something, forgot about it. Well, the wall falls. And his wife, what are we going to do? Do I want to now, the Russian army is, is reinventing itself now, uh, rather than the Soviet army, it's the Russian army. Do I want to stay? Where do we want, where do we want to live? So they decided to go live with his parents for a while in Ukraine. And they had moved from Moscow to Ukraine. They go to Ukraine and they love it. And he then makes a pledge and he joins the Ukrainian army. And around that same time, they had a very strong spiritual encounter and they both became Christians or children as well. He didn't even know Christians could be in the military because in the Soviet style, that's not talked about. If someone has a faith, officially atheism was the religion of, quote unquote, of the Soviet Union. So he joins and subsequently they all become Christians and he starts to have these sort of, as you will, you know, divine encounters, if you will, with, with other Christians. And he ends up getting a, a master's degree and becoming a pastor. And then he's challenged by uh, certain missionaries from Olive Branch International who are visiting. You need to start a chaplaincy program in Ukraine. And so he, long story short, he ends up doing that. And now he runs Olive Branch, helps coordinate with also the Orthodox chaplaincy. They have the kind of their separate, the, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Protestants, Catholics, and they all coordinate. They're all kind of doing their own thing, but they coordinate. They actually work together. And there are literally thousands of what are called war chaplains in the trenches as we speak right now. And, and in the book, one of the great stories I love is he was relaying to me how every week he has a sort of a group Zoom with these chaplains. And they, if they can get Wi-Fi, you know, and get access, they all join from wherever. And it's just a time of encouragement and sharing, kind of lifting each other up. I mean, the work, as you can imagine, is exhausting. And he's told by military commanders, high-level Ukrainian uh, commanders, the soldiers want the war chaplains near them. They feel safe. They feel like there's, they can't explain it, but there's sort of a wall of protection around them. He says, when the chaplains are there, they feel like the morale is boosted, drinking and carousing and, and that kind of stuff goes down. And, you know, almost as if these war chaplains are good luck charms, which of course they're not. They carry their faith into the trenches. It really moves me. Even listeners who may or may not be a Christian or have, have a strong faith and, or even a belief in God, it's just the idea of the camaraderie, that there's people going and saying, we care about you enough to be here and put our lives on the line and to spend, you have night watch tonight, I'm going to spend the night with you. I'm going to keep you company. How do you argue against that? It's just a brilliant, wonderful thing. And so Colonel Karinovich has been giving me updates. And this amazing person, right? He spent years in the Soviet army. And he says, Kyle, there are thousands of commanders in the Russian army, men that I knew and loved, men and women. He said, most of them are good people, but they're deceived by that old Soviet way. And it is a godless, very aggressive 
and and his word was malignant kind of approach. Now I'm not I am not condemning all Russian military leaders. We all know in any military there's going to be you know decent people. So I'm not trying to demonize all Russians or he says there's a spirit there. It's very dark. And here's a guy who knows what he's talking about because he's been on both sides of the equation. So his story is very interesting. Like a lot of Ukrainians during the war right now, he's he's pastoring a church. He's teaching at a seminary. He's managing this chaplaincy through Olive Branch. And he's got four sons. So he's wearing all these hats. It's just, it's. I'm like, when do you sleep? And he said, you know, whenever I can, whenever I can catch a, a nap here and there. So that's life on the ground in Ukraine, according to Colonel Valentin Karenovich. So we're talking with Kyle Duncan. He's the author, co-author of Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. What do you really want people to know? Please keep giving of your time, your treasure, and your talents to Ukraine and to the refugee crisis. There are still more than, uh, I think the number now is approximately 8 million displaced Ukrainians. And the Ukrainian government is saying, look, um, we don't have enough power for you to come back right now. Please hold on wherever you are. If you can stay and if your host country can still keep you there, stay through the winter. And then when it starts to warm up and the power grid is less stressed, come back. So there's a lot of people separated from their families, wives from husbands, parents from children, et cetera. So I would say there's a lot of needs around the world. Syria is a desperate situation. Northern Nigeria, desperate. Yemen, desperate. I'm not presuming this is the only hotspot around the world. China needs our help. Iran needs our prayers. The people of Iran, I mean, it seems every day they're they're on the verge of a civil war there. But, you know, my calling with my family and my son being from Ukraine, that's just, that's my soft spot. So keep them in your prayers. Keep giving. The winter's going to be long and cold. Warm the hearts of the people of Ukraine through your love in action, which is by, you know, let's put our money where our mouth is and give. One of the things that I see with the nonprofits, especially when COVID hit, it's almost like when it is tighter, when it's harder, people tend to give more. Yeah. I, I love that about our country. I love our country. I'm a proud American. And I love the fact that Americans step up and give and volunteer and put their money where their mouth is. And de Tocqueville said it best back around the time of the American Revolution. You know, he comes over from France and he observes and he says, you know, America is not good because it's great. America is great because it is good. And I, I still believe in that. And I believe that we are at our hearts, core of uh, people of goodness. And, and we need to share that. So where can we get the book, Hope for Ukraine? Yeah, um, all the wonderful outlets that we are, especially this time of year, you know, Amazon, places like barnesandnoble.com or your brick and mortar. If they don't have it, ask for it <laughs> so they can bring it in. And places like christianbooks.com. Yeah, your favorite local retailer should be carrying it. So I appreciate your support. Yeah, it's just, a, it's been a wonderful season of being able to share uh, about uh, the Ukrainian situation. And I feel humbled and privileged to be able to do so. Well, I love it that you're bringing awareness because I know as somebody who works in media, it's easy for me to skim through things to see that you are coming from a place of being there, of having connections, in a sense, an expert as this is how you can help 
and that your money will go farther, your help will go farther. So I appreciate that. I just know that that especially this time of year can be very difficult for people. So mm-hmm. I found that that even even around the time that I found myself with these amazing doors opening up uh, for me to do this book, I was I was in a kind of a dark place, you know, through some personal crises and just by able to get outside of myself and focus on interviewing refugees and doing this book, it just got me out of myself. And I'd like to just gently encourage without hopefully sounding like I'm on a soapbox or I'm better than anybody because God knows I'm not. When we do give, especially during the holidays, when it can be a hard time and a lonely time, and we kind of get out of ourselves. I just want to encourage people to do that. It could be as small as just writing a $10 check, you know, going online. Or if, you know, if you're a person of prayer, just just write down 10 things or 10 people you could be praying for, whether it's President Zelensky or soldiers, maybe you know, or you go through your local Ukrainians of Washington, the state, and say, hey, I'd like to designate some some gifts to, to have families that we could give to. Maybe there's Ukrainian refugee families in Washington. You know, maybe some have landed in Seattle. I know, you know, there's many here in San Diego. Yeah, I just encourage all of us, including myself, I'm speaking to myself, to just kind of get out of our shell and that urge to want to just, we're not doing well. You know, we don't want to be around other people. We don't, you know, we, and I think it helps when we are and when we take that step to walk across the room, you know, to have a human connection with someone. So, you know, and all the, organizations I've worked with or volunteered with, we always do a debrief after an event or whatever. And it's always kind of like these volunteers came to help. And what they always say is, I think I got more out of it than say the homeless person or the the person that I came to help. So I love that. And if you're feeling down during the holidays, it is a good way to, like you say, get out of yourself, be of service. And I saw this acronym for hope. You've probably heard of this, but help one person every day. That's awesome. I love that. My dad always used to say, just somehow be the the hands and feet of, of Jesus today for one person's son. And that's the same thing. So whatever your faith background or belief system is, we can all do that. I love that. The yeah. book is Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from Front Lines of War. Kyle, thank you so much. And we'll be looking for an update in a few months. From thank you, Lori. I look forward to seeing you and talking to you then. And, uh, happy holidays. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. And we hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week while we continue to talk with people who are making a difference.